Well, it's great to be here. Um, it was a beautiful write-up this morning. It was only raining a little bit, but it was so fantastic to, to come on up. I, um, I really, uh, this has been a great uh, morning just to meet so many of you this here. It just reminds me of uh, when I first became a Christian. Uh, I'm a chiropractor. I became a Christian about 34 years ago, or 32 years ago. And uh, my wife is a chiropractor, and uh, yesterday she got to talk for an hour and a half with the person that she started the Bible with, uh, and uh, that was Marilyn Crete, and she's somewhere in Canada, and uh, I studied with her husband, Henry. And uh, it was really great to... Uh, to hear about their family and what's been going on. And, and this, this feeling in, in this room reminds me so much of when I first became a Christian, just the way you've reached out to me and loved me and cared for me and been so giving. I really want to say thank you for that. And so it's been really cool. When I, when I, uh, soon after we became Christians, we were one of the only ones in the Boston church that, that had a house. So we had a group about this size that would meet in our living room uh, every Sunday morning. And uh, Henry and uh, his uh uh, church leader uh, Mark Mancini they, they actually started the Toronto church and uh, so then we were with Randy McKean for a number of years and Randy's got this big bellowing voice and he would just you know preach I mean he didn't need a microphone at all but anyway uh, and uh, people would come in and out of our house all week long and you know we were in New Christians so we didn't really uh, we were just real happy to open up our house and uh, we were told uh, about a year or two after that by, by our cross-the-street neighbor, an elderly couple, they thought, they thought we were drug dealers. And uh, they thought that people were coming in at night and had a Bible study, and, you know, I should have explained maybe a little bit more. Uh, but it was really uh, just, just the feeling in here is a lot what I felt when I first became a Christian uh, in the sense of nothing but the drugs, but just the, the love and the, and the caring. So um, I, I had another uh, great memory uh, about two, three weeks ago. I was supposed to actually come a month ago when I was sick. I had a, I was, I had a virus like mono. And uh, I, I, you know, I got over that, but I, but I had to cancel, and I'm so grateful to come up this weekend. But uh, for the next, you know, two or three weeks after I had to cancel, I, I was not contagious, but I would go to my office, and I have a sister in the church who's my partner. She's also a chiropractor, and uh, I would just start with these, like, I would just start, start sweating like crazy. It just went, this went on like I had mono in, in college, but it felt so much like that. And one morning I got in, and I was just sweating, and I was just. And, and Karen turns to me and she goes, now you know what menopause is. You know, so, <laughs> so I thought, there's a lot of compassion there. But anyway, uh, but we did sneak up here actually about two weeks ago. Uh, my daughter, uh, my son-in-law, my, uh, and our two granddaughters, we came up with my wife. And we had such a great time. We went to Killington. And we were there the, the last weekend. of. Uh, they had one more run on Killington. There were a bunch of sh- uh, people in short, short sleeves skiing and everything. That was really cool. And uh, so we went on a hike. And... Uh, my granddaughter is just about four, she'll be four this week, and we hiked up this kind of small little mountain, and, you know, we picked her up some, and, but she was doing great, and on the way down, I could tell she was kind of fading, and, uh, and so she was walking, and she walked maybe, you know, 100 yards going down, and, and all of a sudden she turns, she goes, Papa, I think I sprained my ankle. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess that means I'm going to carry her all the way down the mountain. So, so we, we just, that's one of, my, one, of my, one of my great Vermont memories. But this has already been another great memory being here. I, I actually met uh, Kristen and, and Mike actually at a conference for Hope a number of years ago. And I, I happened to sit next to Kristen and we were talking and I was so impressed with her. She was, I think, in college or just out of college or around that time. And uh, I was like, this is an amazing sister. I mean, this sister should be in the ministry. And uh, and then I then I, then Mike kind of slid on over, and they were uh, I don't know if they were engaged, but or soon to be engaged so around that time. 
And I thought, oh, these guys look like they like each other. And then I found out they got married, and now they're in the ministry, and you guys are so lucky to have them. I was so impressed with them uh, years ago, and so great to be part of your church today. Um, but I just wanted to talk about, um, you know, just the, the idea of uh, hope. And hope is such an amazing thing. Hope can actually uh, change someone's perspective on everything. And uh, I know uh, a lot of times when patients come in the office, I see a, a, a lot of hopelessness. I see people, you know, they share things. They, you know, I get to know them, you know, personally over a period of time as I treat with them, and uh, and other people that I meet, not just my patients, but I hear all these stories, you know, uh, people, you know, with relationship issues and with financial issues and job issues and everything. And if you don't have hope, you, you don't have a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that might be a good topic. And I, I thought uh, I just wanted us to open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter four and look at how Jesus brought hope to people. And uh, in Matthew 4, uh, we're going to go through a bunch of scriptures today, so hopefully you enjoy reading the Bible, so we'll do that today. That would be fun. Um, in Matthew 4, verse 23, really neat, uh, short couple of verses, but it describes the whole ministry of Jesus. And it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And I think you can see how much hope these people had. And it was amazing to see how just large crowd just came, come, just, just came to follow him. It wasn't like he said, come follow me. They just followed him. And you see the three aspects of his ministry. First was obviously he was preaching the good news. Or another version says proclaiming. And, uh, and we do that too. We're not all uh, ministers like Mike or Kristen, you know, when they preach the word. You know, many of us, I don't feel like I have that gift in a sense. But, you know, we, we all proclaim uh, and preach the good news because we have a story to tell. And when we meet somebody, we, you know, we talk to them about how God's affected our life, we're actually preaching or, pro- or proclaiming the good news. And then there's the aspect of teaching that Jesus was doing. And uh, there's a great scripture in Romans 15, verse 4. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught us in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And so that kind of summarizes why the Bible was even written. In, Matthew, in, in Romans 15, it says, you know, that the, the scriptures are written so that we would have encouragement and that ultimately we would have hope. And so as we, as we kind of mature as Christians, uh, and even as we start to read the Bible, you know, those scriptures bring hope to our lives. And I know for me, I remember the first time I actually opened the Bible was actually when I was 24 years old. My wife had started going to a Bible discussion, like I shared um, Marilyn had been driving her bicycle down the street and uh, uh, someone opened the door and she smashed into the door of the car and she needed chiropractic care. And that's how she came into her office to meet my wife. And so I started going. Now, my background, I'm Jewish. Uh, I am Jewish. And uh, I'd never opened the Bible ever. I'd been bar mitzvahed and gone through all the, all the uh, training as a, as a Jewish young child all the way through 13. After I had my bar mitzvah, I never went to a temple again. It just wasn't meaningful to me. Um, and, uh, you know, I just wasn't, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't thinking about God at all. I went to college. I, I played soccer there. I partied like crazy. I actually had a roommate in my freshman year. My assigned roommate was a Christian. He invited me so many times to Bible discussion, and I never went. 
And I thought, this, this guy was really gracious to me. I, I just, I messed up his freshman year. I know I did. Many times the way I came back to the room and different phases of, you know, all kinds of things were going on. But, but then uh, I was more ready um, as an adult, as, a, as I was married for two years. My wife and I had been married. And uh, I always said, this week is my 34th anniversary. And uh, I always describe, I've been married 34 years. 32 of them were good. Two of them taught me how to have a good one. Because the first two years were terrible. And we had such a rotten marriage. I mean, we loved each other. And we never fought at all when, before we, as we were dating. And then we got married and all of a sudden everything changed. The commitment, the, the stresses of starting a practice, all those different things brought out so, many, so, so much sin in my heart and, and, and Anne's as well that we just were just at each other's throat all the time. And I have such great hope now that anybody's marriage can change because my marriage was totally the worst of the worst. And I, and I know how God's word affected it. As I started to read, uh, and then I'd go, to, I'd go to church. I used to go to the Boston Garden, and you know, um, it was amazing to see thousands of people there just sitting there being so excited about what the word said. And, I, and, I, and then I just voraciously, voraciously just started reading the Bible. It still took me 11 months to become a Christian. I was very slow. And after, uh, after I got baptized, I asked Henry, you know, I started studying the Bible, and I was curious. Now, what was it like to study with me? So I asked him, and he said, you were the most faithless man I ever studied the Bible with. So that's, that's where I was at in terms of, you know, I, I had head knowledge uh, and awareness of, of something, but there was no faith. There was nothing, nothing of basis that I actually believed in, in a living God, and I certainly didn't believe in Jesus having grown up the way I had. So, um, but we can do the same thing with the scriptures, and we should as we, grow, as we get older in the Lord, and we should become more mature and putting in practice and really embedding the scripture into our heart. Um, you know, um, in, in my background, I studied a lot of psychology and different uh, aspects of growth and maturity. And basically, uh, one of the classes that oh, I'll always remember this one lecture, he said, there's basically for every human being, there's five, five or so key moments in, their, in a person's life which will actually change the direction of their life. You know, we live and we're busy and we do things and there's all kinds of um, important things that we think are going on, but really there are only a small number of things that happen to actually change the, the total direction of our lives. And obviously one of mine was to study the Bible, but uh, another one happened actually about two years ago was my mom found out that she had pancreatic cancer. And, um, you know, she, she already was stage four. Um, she was 78 at the time. Um, and when you have that kind of a, a diagnosis, you basically have about six months to live. And my background with my mom... Uh, was was generally very good. We were very close, um, but my mom and dad were both German Jews. They they escaped the, the uh, Germany before. Well, my mom, my dad actually escaped before the war started and went to China. And my da- uh, my mom actually was hiding with her grandfather. She was basically lying about uh, that she wasn't Jewish, and she was able to do that till they got her out and once she went to Israel. So um, my mom had, my mom saw a lot of things. She saw bombs drop near her house. She saw a lot of ugliness. She, she really didn't know her parents growing up. So she had a tough side to her. And so we would bump sometimes. And some of it was, I'm sure it was me because of who I was in my, in my own ugliness. But she, she could be difficult for a lot of us in the family. And um, when we got that diagnosis, I, I just prayed. you know, And I thought, what am I going to pray now for my mom? And uh, I just thought right away, I thought of Romans... Um, Romans chapter uh, 8.28. And it's a great scripture. And it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And it's such a powerful scripture that God will work for the good 
if we love Him. And I thought, you know what? That's going to be my prayer for my mom, with my mom. Because I knew they, li- they were living in New Jersey at the time, and I'm in Boston, you know, about a five hour drive. And, uh, but I want to be there for my mom and my dad, uh, who's still alive and has since moved up to uh, about a mile from my house now. But that last six months with my mom was the best six months of my life with her. And I was able to go down uh, weekly or every other week. I'd, spend, I'd, I'd take time off work and go to doctor appointments with her. And I'd call her every day and we would just connect. And she, would share, she shared more things in that last six months than she ever did over my, you know, my first 57 years of living. And uh, we got so much closer during that time. And I thought, God answered my prayer because I claimed his promise from his word. And it was so powerful for me to see that. And then about a week before, it was a week before she died, I was down there. And she was still very coherent and... But she was in a lot of pain and she was clearly going, you know, was going in, in her last days. And uh, I got there on a Friday and uh, I, said, uh, I said to her, you know, we were talking about different things. And she turned to me and said, would you speak at my memorial service? And I thought, wow, I was waiting for you to ask me. I really wanted to do that, you know. And uh, so that night I stayed up and I wrote a whole bunch of things that I would like to share. So the next morning I got up and my, my dad and my mom were there and my dad went off to do some errands. So I said to my mom, I said, uh, would you like to hear what I'd like to share at your memorial service? I don't want to talk behind your back or anything here, you know. So, uh, so, so she said yes. Yeah. So, so I, so I got to share with my mom what I what I shared at her memorial service, and I'm just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And my mom, being the stoic German, you know, whatever, she just sat there, you know, pretty, you know, pretty uh, clear face, not stone face, but just you know, no, not real a lot of emotion. And I uh, said, so do you like that? And uh, she goes. I like it. You can say that, you know. So it was, uh, it was very encouraging. But, you know, we're the ones that have hope. You know, and we, if we claim the scriptures and we, we look at them, we cement them more and more to apply them into our lives, they can actually change relationships. They can change things that you think would never, ever change. And so we as, we as Christians, or even as we start to learn about God, as we put those scriptures into, into practice and we start to really trust God with those things and have faith, they can really change the direction. And this situation with my mom is definitely one of those five things that changed my life in terms of my, you know, just even my relationship with God, but also just the direction of my own personal life. So, not only do we have hope, but we bring hope. So, uh, let's turn to John uh, chapter 13. I want to just look at three, three, there's many things that we bring hope with as Christians, but I wanted to look at three specific things. And uh, in John chapter 13, um, this is when Jesus was going to the cross. And uh, it's interesting, I, I love reading this, uh, this chapter because this is, uh, shows a lot about God's heart and, and his intention for how he wants us to live our lives as well. In John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And that's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. Jesus knew that a time had come for him to leave the world, and so what does he do? He just grabs a basin and starts washing his disciples' feet. That was his intention for uh, for where he wanted what he wanted to do with, with his last some of his last moments with his disciples. And reading on in verse twelve, um, the same chapter, 
chapter 13, verse 12, it says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, so that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And that's such a powerful thing there. He says, you know, he, he says, I have set for you an example that you should follow this. And so he's like, let me let me make it really clear. When you have a relationship, I want you to I want you to be the servant. I want you to be the one that goes out and gives to other people. Even even if you're at a place where I am and where I'm ready to go to, to my death, he says, this is how I want you to think about your life. And then later on in, in chapter, uh, same chapter, verse 33, he says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. So he's reminding them, again, I'm only going to be here a little, little bit longer. It says, you will look for me, and just as I told, told the Jews, so I'll tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what are the two things he's focusing on here? Service and love. That's how we bring hope. Those are two of the three things I wanted to mention. Is that when we serve other people, we are showing ourselves to other people to bring them hope. And if you think about when people have served you, it's, it's an amazing thing when someone serves you and looks out for you and thinks about you. Um, I appreciate so much. I, I saw in your bulletin that you're collecting clothes. Um, I actually started about 20 years ago a free chiropractic clinic in downtown Boston. And it started kind of on a whim. I had done something like that when I was in chiropractic school. And now as a Christian, I thought, you know, I have this gift. I can, I can help people. Uh, let's do this for the people that are needy. So I, so I, I sent a letter to all the chiropractors in Boston, uh, about 200 of them, and th- 30 of them showed up at, up at a planning meeting that we had. And so with that, we started a free clinic, uh, and it was 20 years ago. And so since that time, about 70 different doctors have, have volunteered their time. You know, some rotate in, and they stay for a few years, and then they, they leave. Um, and a number of us have done it for forever. Um, but it's been amazing. Two of them have become Christians, two of the chiropractors. Um, and, uh, and it's been great to serve. I mean, I work every month at a, at a big women's shelter. It's called Rosie's Place. They probably serve a 1,000 women a week. And uh, I happen to, we, we did, uh, for one of our, our Hope events, we did a, a clothing, uh, a jacket drive for our winter coats. And so I happen to be at the shift um, treating patients when they actually gave out the coats that our church had donated. There were probably like five or six hundred coats we get we collected as a church. And so I was I was in a room and I but I was watching the cafeteria where all the coats were being laid out. And uh, it was such a cool thing to see because as the, as the women were getting the coats, it was like they were shopping at Saks Fifth Avenue. They they would try the coat on and they prance around and show their jacket off. And it was such a cool thing. They were having so much fun. And I I was so uh, overjoyed that I could actually see that happening because you know when you give something like that and I appreciate you're giving close you won't see that person get it yeah. but just pre- just pretend that they're at stacks okay and because uh, that's really what it feels like to them because they not only do you give them something that, which they need but you give them hope when when somebody gets something in that way they they're not thinking oh somebody had this before or it was used a little bit I don't know it was maybe somebody didn't need this they're not thinking that they're thinking someone cares about me. And this is what Jesus is trying to communicate. He says, you know what? People are going to know that you're my disciples, not because 
you do X, Y, Z thing, you know, whatever. It's because you, the love that you show to one another and the way that you serve. And I love this chapter. It's, it's really worth reading over again it's to really see Jesus' heart because this is the most important thing he wanted to communicate one more time as if he hadn't done this a thousand times already with all the disciples, showing him service, showing him how to love one another. But he wanted to remind him one more time, this is what you need to do as, as he was going to the cross. And the other um, way that I think we bring hope there's, uh, is was generosity. And I think that's a really... An, an amazing characteristic of someone. Uh, let's go to First Timothy chapter six and look at this uh, scripture. I think uh, you know a lot of times when we we think about how do I want to be known as as a person, uh, generosity isn't always necessarily the first thing we think of. But when we see someone that's generous, we go, I want to be like that. Yeah. And in this this uh, couple of verses in verse seventeen, First Timothy six verse seventeen, it says. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up, for, for, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And that's such an amazing thing. He says, command those who are rich. And uh, he says, you know, do good things, etc., etc. But he says, teach them to, command them to be generous. And uh, when we think about, you know, what, what is uh, the greatest scripture about service, it's in Matthew 25 about a sheep and a goat, right? And, uh, you know, that's, that's a really interesting thing to read because it describes it specifically what are some ways that we can be generous. It says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was uh, thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you closed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And, you know, for years I read that and I go, okay, I've donated clothes. We have a pantry at our church building. You know, I've worked at that and volunteered. But the only one there was the prison one. And so, uh, sadly, but opportunely, I uh, one of my patients actually... Uh, had a, a roommate and he actually killed him. And I knew both of them. And uh, he was, you know, he was found guilty of second degree murder. He was put in prison and um, he, he painted my, he was also a painter. He painted my house and my clinic and we were friends. And now he's in jail. So I said, I got to visit him. You know, I, I knew his, I knew his buddy, but, you know, I also don't want him to feel like going, you know, so here's my chance to go. So, you know, we, we sent letters back and forth and I've gone to visit him probably half a dozen times since he's been in for the last four years. I, I visited him a few months ago. And it's really weird when you get this correspondence, they have a big stamp on it and says, you know, we're, we're not responsible for any substance that's in this envelope. And, you know, it says all kinds of interesting things. And I'd never been in a prison either, so going in there was pretty daunting. He was in this really high security one initially, so he had to walk through a lot of, lot of, a lot of wire, a lot of, you know, and it took about an hour to get in and just the whole process, you know. So it's, it's quite a daunting thing if you haven't been there before. But, but I've gone and the last time I went to visit him, um, he, was, he was in good spirits and, you know, he's trying to make the best of it. And, you know, he's actually seeking God, which has been neat to see him start to think about God because he hadn't before. But um, my wife and I decided we were going to buy him a television because they allowed him to get little televisions in, his, in the room, in, the, in his cell. So we, we sent the money, you have to send the money a certain way, and then it takes a month or two until he even knew that we sent it. So he eventually got the TV set, 
and um, he sent us this letter. And um, I mean, I could read the whole thing, but I'm not. But he says, he says, I'm like a kid in a 10-story toy store. I mean, that's how he felt about that TV set. I mean, he's like, hallelujah. You know, it's like, you know, he said, when I'm, when I'm stressed out, I just go to my room and I just chill and watch TV. When I, when I just need a, a moment, I mean, it's just, he said, you know, it's something he's in there every day, multiple times in the day. And it was so nice to be able to give him something that really meant something to him. And I'm praying for him that, you know, that ultimately this will lead him to God. But, you know, it's not, it's not the generous gifts necessarily of something maybe as expensive. It's probably a small TV. It wasn't thousands of dollars. It was an HDTV or anything, but, um, but you know, the other day I had a patient came in who, has, who I've known for years, and she has cancer. And uh, she has come in for treatment. She's actually responding well. And uh, she came in and she said, Dr. Ken, I want to give you these cookies that I made. And I thought, you know, it was kind of a rough day. It was kind of a busy, crazy day for me. I, it was when I was sick, actually. And uh, she gave me these cookies, and I thought, you know, that is such a cool thing. You know, I, get, I do get lots of gifts, but I thought, here's this lady. She's forced retirement because of her cancer and she's you know, battling her own big issues and she's thinking of me. And I thought, you know, we can be generous with big or little or something, but it's the heart that goes behind yeah. it. That's the generosity part. So we bring hope when we're generous. And so um, in closing, I just want to say, you know, one, we, will ha- we have hope. And I hope we feel that. I-, I think Mike did a great job kind of communicating that. Uh, secondly, we can give hope. And lastly, I just want to say, you know, we can start to we can start hope more and more in our lives all the time. Um, I appreciate the hope shirt here. That's awesome. Um, you know, uh, you know, I appreciate Mike sharing his vision about, um, you know, having an impact in Burlington. I already see that you're doing that. And I heard some other things that you're doing over the over the last years. And it's also great to just think about, you know, our partnership with Hope Worldwide is amazing. We have so many great blessings having that partnership. Um, you know, I think about. Uh, not only the, the way that they help train us to do things in terms of programs regularly uh, or, or on a regular basis, but you know they have Hope Youth Corps, they have Singles Corps, they have all these opportunities that people have. Uh, one of the programs we started a lot in Boston is called uh, it's called uh, Hope Scouts, which is a really cool thing, and uh, it's for elementary all through high school. Uh, it's basically a service group, and each of our regions has one. It says never too young to serve, you know, so it's really cool. And uh, that's been really cool. We had, a, we had an event yesterday which went, went really well. But it's really neat to think about the impact that you will make over time uh, in terms of your service and impact in your, in your community. If you look at Acts 4, and we won't have time to look at that, but the, 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 the disciples, you know, when, they were, when Peter and John were out and about and they, saw, they met a cripple and they healed the cripple, and it just turned the whole city upside down. And they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they thought, wow. And the guy says, and Peter and John says, are we being put in prison because of an act of kindness? And that, see, when we put that mixture of teaching and preaching and service together and healing, that's what, that's what changes people's hearts to God. And so sometimes it could be giving a coat, sometimes it could be spreading a scripture, sometimes it could be you know, sharing our story, but those types of things can make a big difference. So you do have two opportunities to kind of learn more about the healing part. If you're going to reach, there's actually going to be a three-hour session at the, uh, on Saturday about all different aspects of helping the poor. So if you're going already, or if you're on the fence about going, maybe that will motivate you to go. Um, that's a great thing. It's going to be awesome. And then later this year, we're going, to have, uh, we're going to have six regional conferences around the United States. We're going to have one in Northeast. So we're going to invite you guys to come down, whoever would like to, about, and learn how to, how to serve the poor, how to run programs, how to 
reach out to people and, and, and create partnerships and all those kinds of things. So I just wanted to share that those things are coming. But, um, but I wanted to thank you for that, uh, for letting me speak here today. I want to give you each a gift. We have uh, these, um, it's actually a Bible study series that some of the teachers, actually Peter, um, Peter is part of the teacher group along with me and some of the other brothers to do. It's, it's called A Lifestyle of Compassion. It's, uh, it's about eight or nine Bible studies, lengthy Bible studies about how to develop a heart of compassion for people. So I wanted to give you each one of those and uh, you know, give you something to chew on um, amongst everything else that you're reading. But hopefully that would be a, uh, an opportunity to, um, to learn more about God and his heart. But I, uh, I want to say thank you for that. And also, I just want to say um, I'm so impressed with this church. And I'm so encouraged to uh, I'll send back great wishes. We pray for you all the time in Metro. And uh, thank you again for inviting me here.